You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection, a rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think you're ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Oh, it's all wet. Here they come. Jake has told us so much about you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway. <laughs> Jake tells me you're studying quantum psychics. Ooh, physics. Really? But there's just something profoundly wrong here. Are you okay? Yeah. I think you're ending I am so glad Jake has found someone. <laughs> Soon this will all be a distant memory. Who's this? It's me. No, it was me. I tell you, I would misplace my own head if it wasn't screwed onto my own head. I feel like I was seeing them as they were. Seeing them as they will be. Seeing them after they're gone. I'm thinking of ending stay here. Excuse me? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. People like to think of themselves as points moving through time. But I think it's the opposite. We're stationary. And time passes through us. Blowing like cold wind. Maybe this is how it was always going to end. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and the story is as follows. Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. The film is starring Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, and David Thewlis. It is written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Dan Bayer. Hello from Toronto, kind of. <laughs> I also have Lauren LaMagna. Good morning, everyone. Daniel Howitt. Hello, hello. Ryan C. Showers. I'm thinking things are going to get weird. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, so I'm thinking of ending things. A film that we did not review on the podcast last week. I wanted to give everyone some time to rewatch, to let it sit in, absorb a little bit, kind of make peace with themselves and the rest of the universe, as it, as it were. <laughs> I'm sure Charlie Kaufman wanted us to think about a lot of things while watching this movie. And I'm glad that we waited because I've now seen this film three times and I can tell you right off the bat that I was not prepared to discuss it after my first viewing. That is definitely for sure. The film is currently streaming on Netflix where, you know, you can watch with subtitles, you can rewind, fast forward, and dissect everything that is going on in Charlie Kaufman's latest film. A film which, in my opinion cements him now as a filmmaker on the level of a Stanley Kubrick or David Lynch, just in terms of how one can analyze and interpret 
uh, their films. So let's dive into it. Let's talk about it. Let's start off with the person who actually read the book first before seeing the movie. Lauren, what did you think of I'm Thinking of Ending Things? In general, I liked it. I don't want to put myself at a higher position because with someone like Charlie Kaufman directing, I don't think reading the book is going to give you such a boost. So I was really interested to see how he really took it over. And he really did make the story his own. The same themes are there. But it is really fascinating to see how one can just take a story and then how their mind sees it. And I really don't know how I feel about living in a world where Charlie Kaufman exists. Because, man, he knows a lot about the human world and the human psyche. And he just knows too much about how our minds work, I feel. And he just gets right to the chase. And I think that this film being on Netflix is perfect because it does allow you to you know sit in a dark room by yourself, rewinding and rewatching and getting everything out of it. And I do see this kind of like a visual poem where you'll get a different interpretation, discover something new every time you watch it, which I think is really fascinating where you might not get in the book. It could be very direct. So I'm excited that Charlie Kaufman did direct this piece. I see why he liked this piece. And I can't wait to keep rewatching and having this discussion about all of your interpretations about it. All right. Ryan C. Showers. Well, uh, this is uh, from right off the bat. I love the film's aesthetic. I think it's a really pretty film to look at. The cinematography, the production values, the colors are so deep and rich and it's just gorgeous to look at. Um, I, and I love a lot of the mood that that the film creates. There's a, feeling of dread. There's a lot of stuff to dissect about relationships. Um, in a weird way, it reminded me of like Charlie Kaufman's take on a um, Richard Linklater before movie with the conversations they have in the car. Um, I, I really, I, there's a lot to analyze and there's a lot to think about in those, um, in those scenes. But ultimately, I, I can't say I would fully recommend this to everybody and anybody. Um, I think it's a very cathartic, cathartic expression for Charlie Kaufman, um, but I don't know how many people will connect with it, like in the way that he wants. I think it's more of a, a niche, a niche film. Okay, yeah, definitely, Daniel Howitt. Yeah, I, I don't really know where to start with. I'm thinking of any things. I mean, um, I, I I definitely agree with Ryan. The aesthetic is gorgeous. I think this this film is incredibly well made overall. Um, the the two Jessies give incredible performance. Jessie Buckley, she's just amazing. I, I really can't wait to see what what she does uh, in the future. I mean, this is only what like her third or fourth film, um, so she she's amazing. And Jesse Plemons is as well. He's so unique. So there's a lot to love just on the just on the base visual level, the craft level. Um, but yeah, I've I've got problems with this movie. Uh, Kaufman's a genius, clearly. Um, and I and I'm not someone who needs their hand held in a film. I'm not I'm not a moron. At least I don't think I am. But what I do need is a film to keep me invested in any way. Just somehow, some way, keep me invested. And this film is so internal, uh, so out there. I, I was incredibly bored, waiting for anything to happen. Um, that by the end, when things do start to uh, come together, I'm sure we'll dive in to, to the ending, but um, I had already been checked out for 45 minutes. Um, I, I have no 
doubt of the depth that's within this film. I agree with what Lauren said that Kaufman just understands the human mind so deeply. I have no no doubt about that, and I, I know there's um, I'm sure there's richness in the source source material, but I, I, I so I don't think this film is empty, but I think this film is far too self indulgent. Um, it's much more interested in being smarter than the audience than letting the viewer inside. It's much more similarly to the way we discussed Tenet. It's much more of a puzzle than a film uh, itself. And so um, I agree it's the sort of film you need to rewatch in order to pick up on the deeper meanings, and that's fine. But it's so incredibly boring that I have very little interest in ever watching it again. So, yeah. So even though there's, there are some good things, um, great performances, well-made, I'm, I'm, I gotta be, I gotta be honest and, and be negative on the movie. Um, I just, I really was unsatisfied. Okay. Uh, Dan Bear. Okay. Um, I love a good mind fuck and this <laughs> is a, the mind fuckiest mind fuck of a movie that I've seen in quite a while. Uh, I, I'm in love with all of the performances in it. Um, I love that it, it, it literally made me question my own sanity as I was watching it. Like I, I didn't know if I could believe my own eyes for periods of the movie, which is kind of insane. And the way it does it, I think is incredibly unique. I haven't seen a film that does what this film does in quite this way before. Um, so I am all down for that. And I, I just think that the, the overall aesthetic of the film and the way everything comes together, the cinematography, the editing, the score, the production design, the costume design, the performances is just like, this is one of the most well-crafted films of the year at the very least. And I think that even if you don't enjoy the movie, I think that is pretty hard to deny. And finally, Josh Parham. Well, I actually want to kind of bounce off of something that Howard said where he mentioned Tenet. Because I was actually thinking that it's sort of interesting that this and Tenet kind of came out the same weekend. Because I think both of them are examples of filmmakers that have very particular styles and like to explore particular themes. And are given a landscape to do so that just feels so self-indulgent and a bit repetitive from what they've done before even though it can be still kind of impressive and i just found that to be kind of interesting that we had both these movies out the same weekend and that's what i sort of feel about this movie there are times and i'm thinking of ending things that i think it is brilliant like a lot of kaufman stuff that is very introspective and it's talking about a lot of interesting themes at the same time they are themes that he has explored in the past and i think that the opaque nature of the storytelling this time, I don't know if it truly helps the storytelling in a lot of ways. I think sometimes it is obtuse for the sake of being obtuse, and I don't think that that really gets me into the story and characters the best way possible. There are other times, though, where I think it is brilliant, and I think a lot of that is closer towards the end of the movie. And overall, I kind of feel like it's a film that I 
and uh, I admire and I respect it, but I don't know if I found myself truly loving it quite that much. It's an interesting movie for sure, but very flawed. And I don't know if I would really even rank it as some of the best of his work, even though it is still very interesting to discuss. I'm glad that we have a wide range of opinions here. We got a good panel to discuss this movie because that's what I've been looking forward to the most is actually discussing the themes and the interesting ideas and topics that Kaufman dives into here. This is going to be a spoiler-filled review, so we're not going to hold anything back here. I want everyone to feel free to give their own interpretations of what is that they, what that that they saw, but for the sake of clarity and just making sure that things move smoothly, I'm actually going to try and structure this in chronological order. So I have notes written down here throughout the entire movie, and I'm going to try and like divide this into sections, if you will. So I want to actually first start off with the very beginning of the film with the opening voiceover, um, the thought of ending things, as it were, and how this is really what we don't know initially, but we come to find out later, is contemplation of suicide. It's not about the relationship. It is about Jake deciding if he wants to necessarily end his own life and the subsequent first of two car rides uh, in the movie that take about Half an hour each. Uh, why don't we first start off with uh, those two? Well, are we talking about the car ride? The, the opening car ride. Uh, basically, you know, like right from the very, very beginning of the movie, you know, we see uh, Jake, uh, an, an older version of Jake, this janitor, like watching um, the protagonist played by Jesse Buckley or or the, or the woman, however you want to refer to her in this movie. We'll just refer to her as Jesse Buckley, I guess, for the sake of clarity. I mean, she's billed as young woman in the film. Yeah. All right, fair enough. So we see, like, older Jake looking out at, of the window in the very beginning at the young woman, and then it cuts back, and we actually see uh, Jesse Plemons' profile from behind in the same exact shot looking out that same window. So right there, it is, like, as Dan said, like a mind fuck, but early on within the first few minutes of the movie... Uh, Charlie Kaufman's already telling us the twist of the film, which is this janitor um, who's older is essentially Jake in reality. And what we're seeing play out throughout the entire movie is Jake's own stream of consciousness of a what if scenario if he had actually met this. Well, he probably did meet this woman, but if they had actually like an actual relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The entire premise is basically a construct within his own mind. And it is rather interesting how the movie starts off with you feeling like you're in the perspective of one character. And then slowly as it goes on, you realize that that perspective is actually his perspective. And it's a very interesting construct. And when you don't know it initially, it is sort of fun to kind of pick up on those clues and then you kind of discover it. And it's like, Oh, that, that is sort of fascinating. I do think at the same time though, it it is still something that we've seen Kaufman deal with in pretty much all of his work, which is the idea of what the world looks like from the perspective of kind of sad, lonely, middle-aged to older men and how they view the world and relationships. And I think that he has mined some really fascinating material out of that in the past. Whereas here, I don't know, there is something to the notion that because it all takes place in his head and therefore it just feels so much more kind of sad and depressing, but not even in that much of an interesting way to me. I, I do admit that it 
I was a little bit resistant to the entire movie taking place in the inside the head of this one character because it sort of felt like everything then that she did felt not quite as impactful to me. I agree with um, I agree with Josh there. The um, my problem with this, I first of all, on the surface, I think everything that transpires in this opening scene is very interesting. I think uh, at least on the surface, looking at it in terms of the relationship and the inner conflict that she's having in regards to him and the thoughts that she has, they're very interesting and real and human and, um, and, and just um, realistic. Um, however, the fact that she's not really real, like there's, there are some interpretations of this film that she is an extension of him and that kind of cheapens the cheapens the overall impact um for me at least that she's not really her own person or her own character she's uh, she's just another form of of uh, of the of the main male protagonist well yeah because um I, I i think and lauren you can correct this but in the book isn't it that they have a brief encounter but he never actually learns that much about her so everything that we're seeing throughout the movie is what he would envision she is like. And that's why like her jobs always change. Her clothes always change. Her hairstyle is always changing. Her name changes. Like he doesn't actually know any of these things about her. He's projecting them all onto her as he would like to see her. Exactly. Like I said, the book is a lot more direct. There's a full concise story and the Ian Reed, the author knows exactly where he wants to go. And he lives more in like a thriller horror genre as opposed to Kaufman. But yeah, the story goes is that they meet at a trivia night and they kind of hit it. So Jake's perspective, they kind of hit it off. And I believe she does give him his number. And it's about like, what if he did call her? Would they have had this really great relationship where, you know, everything would have been great? Or would they have had this relationship where she would actually leave him? So there's no point to the said relationship. So this whole journey is jake as the janitor in that age of his life figuring out you know what if i did actually ask her out how would that unfold and jake comes to the conclusion that even though he thinks it's kind of going well that she would eventually find faults in him and leave him so she would end things that sounds so much more interesting than than the really obtuse story that we got um yeah i i i I think I think so much of that was lost in in translation, it seems. Again, I haven't read the source material, but from Lauren's description, uh, it's so much more vague and so much more ethereal, which, you know, that's Kaufman, right? Which is fine, but uh, it just doesn't translate well to, at least to me. I didn't didn't pick up on almost any of it. I think this movie is kind of fascinating in that I, I don't think, I would be shocked if anyone could get that that is the story that's being told from the first viewing. But once you know that that's what the book is doing, everything sort of clicks into place and makes sense. I I almost think it's better as an adaptation of a book than it is as a standalone narrative. I'm sorry. That's a fault to me. I, I, you to, to have to read the, the book in order to understand the film that sounds like a faulty adaptation to me. That doesn't sound like a pro. I mean, I understand that it makes it can make for a more rewarding viewing experience, but uh, most people aren't going to work that hard. It's I a lot understand of work. That. I, I, mean, was... I appreciate that you do have to work that hard, actually. So few films ask um, 
like anything of their audience in terms of doing work and putting the thing together that I'm, I'm just really happy that a movie that does ask a lot of its audience exists. Can we uh, take that point and comment on how Kaufman is actually criticizing film critics in this movie and how they actually do dissect uh, art and how there are blatant, purposefully placed uh, moments of, you know, references to movies. Um, there's that movie within the movie that's directed by Robert Zemeckis, for example, where was a man foolishly professes his love for a woman so and then he ends up with her in the end. And it's like, well, this never happens in real life. It only happens like this in the movies. Uh, there, there's a couple of other examples, but I, I think that I think that that's exactly what Kaufman is self-aware of in placing those references all throughout the film. Well, I mean, there's the obvious Pauline Kale thing, which... Oh, my God. Which, <laughs> I mean, which, like, I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of how we're talking about this movie. But I, I think it's interesting that most of that stuff does come later. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely gets more... Um, more heavy handed in the like in the back half of the film, I would say, especially in the set in the second car ride. Yeah. And in the in the first car ride, it's just like I, I feel like there's almost you have to have two conversations about this movie that you have. You can talk about it the first time you watch it and then the second time you watch it, because the first time you watch it, it's so like the there are little things that happen, you know, like when she's thinking the phrase I'm thinking of ending things and he goes, what did you say anything? And she's like, I don't think so. And then she does it again and he kind of looks over at her. Like he hears her say something, but doesn't say anything. Um, and there are lots of times when she's, you know, monologuing in voiceover and not speaking out loud as far as we can tell, but the camera stays on him and it kind of looks like he's hearing what she's saying, but Maybe not. And of course, the moment like, I don't know, when did you all notice that her sweater was changing color? The dinner scene. Dinner. Because, yeah. Because I definitely noticed it during this first car ride. But it was one of those things where I was looking at her. I'm like, that. That's not the color sweater that she was wearing before. Was it? <laughs> There's also some uh, deliberate uh, mismatched edits in the yeah. first car yeah. ride as well to kind of like, I guess, show the fragmented uh, psyche of Jake. Uh, at least that's how I interpret it, because otherwise I have to chalk it up to sloppy editing. And as we mentioned before, this is one of the most well-crafted films of the year. And I don't think that anything in this film is uh, by accident. <laughs> so... I think that, you know, the decision to shoot the car ride and both of them actually for this matter from like multiple angles. I mean, I, I didn't even know you could shoot a car dialogue scene from this many angles <laughs> until I saw this movie, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, and the sound mixing of the snow outside of the car, um, the editing with the voiceover and the actual interplay of the dialogue and the cross uh, the cutting between uh, both actors. It's very long that opening car ride scene is 22 minutes long until they actually get to the house but there is also something mesmerizing about watching it kind of play out both in filmic form with the uh, tools that Kaufman's using as a filmmaker but also it was almost like a piece of theater 
if you will, and just kind of seeing two actors bounce off of one another and us, the audience, like, uh, you know, as we mentioned before, having to work through a very, very dense uh, script. Yeah, I okay. agree. Yeah, I, I like the first car ride a lot. I do like the performances from both of them, and they are kind of going through this, what you kind of feel like is just an initially like this awkward conversation, but you know on a second viewing that there's actually much more going on in terms of perspective and identity. I will admit, though, that the second one didn't really grab me quite as much because I think by the time we get to that one, it's basically just saying more about how she's not real and she is just reflecting all these opinions and articles and books and essays that he's written before that he's read before. And I just feel like at that point, we've already sort of gotten it. We kind of have figured it out. And I didn't need another 20 minute extended car ride conversation to tell me that and it did feel a bit tedious to me at that point i think that second car ride is the scene that most people at least from what i understand so far uh have uh problems with in this movie exactly for the reasons that you said josh it feels a bit repetitive and that's kind of like where the i hate saying this word but pretentiousness of uh, Charlie Kaufman and wanting to have dialogue surrounding all these different themes of art, culture, death, time. And it's like, we get it already, all right? You don't need to keep on spelling it out for us. So I, I, I do see where you are coming from with that and where many people are coming from with that, for sure. So no, I, I totally agree uh, with Josh. Like that's that scene, the second car ride scene is where the film really lost me. And um, where as, um, as Dan was saying earlier, um, Dan Howitt. Um, I, I just, that's where I stopped caring. Like, you know, I'm all for like doing the work of a complicated movie. Like I've seen a lot of people, including you yourself, Matt, compare this to mother, um, from 2017. And with that movie, there was something more engaging about it that made me want to wrestle through the work. Um, but here I, I, I was, I, I was trying, I was trying really hard. I was interested in the first 30 minutes. I kind of slogged through the second 30 minutes. And by the time we got to this last car, uh, the second car ride, I was just like, okay, you're losing me. And I just don't care. I love that. There's a line of dialogue that, uh, uh, that Jesse Buckley says in the first car ride, which she says, I'm not a metaphorical type of gal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually there's so many, (laughs) there's so many self-aware lines of dialogue that I didn't pick up on necessarily the first time that on my latest viewings, I've been able to kind of like jot down and, realize oh my god like that poem that she says uh in the first car ride where she breaks the the fourth wall and looks at everyone and says everything you see now all of it bone and she's got tears coming down her eyes and what's the first thing that jesse plemons says uh after it's over it's like you wrote it about me he says (laughs) you know like and you don't notice on a first viewing if you don't know what you're supposed to be looking for on the first viewing all the stuff that you think might be mundane and a slog to to get through on that first viewing might come off as more interesting and, you know, more engaging, I think, on a second viewing. I, I totally agree with that, Matt. And like the the I, I love that she's like, yeah, I just like, you know, I, I finished this poem and you're like, oh, OK, it's like going to be a nice little poem. And she just recites this poem for what feels like five minutes. Yeah. And it just keeps <laughs> going and going and going and you're like what the who the like isn't she a scientist or something like what the hell who is this girl and 
Yeah, and then on previous viewings, and I and I actually think that that may be a real poem by like an actual poet, um, and it it's very like it's one of those things like if you are Troy Kaufman, you'll sort of know right away like well that's not her poem, but even as I think a regular viewer, you're just sitting there like no way. No way she just like wrote that and is remembering it all like that right now. It's a little much. Um, but also like I think that's part of what the film is doing. It is kind of like making fun of that kind of pretentious person a little bit. Yeah. Well, because is Jake really intellectual or is that just how he views himself? Yeah. And the the whole idea that she is just like, oh no, it's it's nothing. Oh, it's terrible. I hate reading this stuff, and then just rattles it off, mm-hmm. like like almost stream of consciousness e, or like it was something that you know she had to memorize for school, and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> or when he's like, um, I'm not much of a musical theater person. Then he proceeds to There's list like 25 list. musicals, <laughs> some of which I've never even heard of before, like. I mean, I have, but I'm a musical theater person that I'm sure Lauren has, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and that line about everybody watching too many movies and how it's like a societal malady. <laughs> and, like, it, they equated it to a virus. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Somebody needs to make, like, an out-of-context, I'm thinking of anything's Twitter account, because there are so many gems in this. Seriously. No. I, I, I do, like, I want to get, because, like, I get what people are saying about the second car ride and the first time through, that was definitely the point where I turned to uh, Matt, who I was watching it with and said in my best Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse voice, how long have we been watching this film? (laughs) Two days. (laughs) Like it, it really fucks with your head. I was like, I know this movie is only two hours long, but we've been watching it for a whole goddamn day. And I don't know what time we're in anymore or who I am or what's happening. And I I I've never had that experience while watching a movie before. And I think it's very unique to this film. And I get that like what they're I the first time I watched it, I was I was fascinated by by how these characters were speaking, not necessarily what they were speaking about. Like I didn't at this point, I'm like, we know these characters. We know, you know, what their uh, what their relationship is like. We know more or less, like, you know, who they are in terms of what their personality is. And but there are still like little things that happen, like when she suddenly becomes Pauline Kale for five minutes and reciting the review of a woman under the influence that that kept my interest up. And the second time watching it that scene did not seem nearly as long as it did the first time when you don't know what's happening and you just think that the, you know, it's going to be like any other movie and the car ride will eventually end. Mm. But that's, that's interesting, Dan, because for and- me, because <laughs> for me, Dan, when I know what the basic premise of the movie is on the second way through, it actually sort of loses a bit of power for me, actually, that I think the first time through it is a bit frustrating, but there is also a sense of discovery that's kind of interesting and fascinating along with it. And once you have the basic tools of the premise and what most of these choices are going for in terms of storytelling, I do kind of get to a point where it's like, OK, like 
I get it. Like she's not real and she's espousing all these things that he's read before. And it's a, um, interpretation of what he imagines the perfect girlfriend to be. And that's why she keeps changing. It's like, I get it at that point. But then when we have so many scenes that indulge on that idea, well past the point when I think even on a first time viewing, you would get it. I then start to lose some interest with the movie. Cause I think that it's no longer being that interesting in the conversation it's starting to get kind of shallow for me at that point which normally is something i wouldn't say about charlie coffin but i think after so many previous attempts in other films to talk about similar subjects this one doesn't really veer that far away from what he's done before and by the time i get to the end there are still some brilliant moments happening but it all feels like it's really starting to spin its wheels at that point See, I think this is going to be the best movie that we ever see about incel culture in our lives, probably. <laughs> um, because, you know, most of the movies I feel like that we've seen about the sad, depressed, lonely man who, you know, is obsessing over a woman has, you know, really just not been that great. Um, at least with this one, there is an invitation, if you will, to engage with it on so many different levels and to go into a variety of different topics, uh, you know, like... One, one of the things I love about that second car ride is that there is uh, another line of dialogue where uh, they comment on how this road seems excessively long. Yeah. And yeah. Th there is a self-awareness of the fact that that car ride seems long. And then they actually start talking about the word seems. And then it kind of goes into <laughs> this conversation about time. And yes, they do kind of uh, have the Tulsi town stop in the middle of it before they uh, get back to the car ride again. But you notice that like the car rides also like getting darker and the lighting is getting incredibly like dim while you're watching it. And as that's happening, you know, then they're talking about heavier topics too. Uh, when they start talking about like David Foster Wallace, that's when I like genuinely started to feel like worried for Charlie Kaufman, like as a person, because I was like, is Charlie like trying to tell us something about himself and, I was like, God, I hope not, because I think he makes, you know, really incredible screenplays and movies. But, um, you know, there, there was a lot going on there that on a first viewing, I just don't know if you can absorb it. So I, I while I understand, Josh, that like the twist uh, at the end of the movie and then you realize what the whole movie's been about this whole time. I can tell you after seeing the movie three times, each viewing like I've discovered something new that I didn't see before, just in terms of putting the pieces together. And also, there are still things I still don't fully understand and I'm still trying to work out. And that could make people love the film or piss people off about the film. It's a very specific audience that are going to really love this whole watching it like a detective versus people who just want to watch a movie. And I understand how people can say, you know, it's, an, it's arrogant, it's maybe um, too smart for everyone else, or it's just trying too hard to be smart. But I do think I do see it as more of a poem where you will try to analyze it. And every time you do analyze it and in its ambiguity, you find more elements that say certain things to you, especially in when in your place as you're watching. Because I do I have read people who have very different interpretations within this basic plot. And the fact that you do have to go back and see that to see di different things can piss people off about a movie because sometimes movies shouldn't be like that. But then I do see people who are really loving the whole idea of, you know, going back into the movie with the subtitles on with their notes and just like finding more stuff about it. What about like recontextualizing the same way that they talk about like Baby It's Cold Outside as a rape song, for example? Mm. You know what I mean? Like 
what you see and perceive it as, you know, the first time you experience it can take on an entirely different meaning uh, the next time uh, that you experience it. And I, 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 you know, like how it I respect the hell that you don't want to necessarily put yourself through this movie again. I fully <laughs> respect it. I do. But at the same time, I am genuinely curious if your interpretation, not interpretation, but more so your reaction would change because on subsequent viewings, the movie's actually gotten better for me because that first viewing was like I was getting a headache because my mind was working so feverishly and I was like, you know, just I, I was almost like I was exhausted after the first viewing of this movie, whereas on the other subsequent viewings, I've just been a lot more at ease and engaged with it. Yeah, I, I just uh it's not that I don't believe the the depth that's within this piece. I really do. You know, Kaufman is not someone to be doubted on that front. Um, but just the the pace and the 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 there's just not very little uh, of note happening in terms of plot that it's hard to engage even even to to dig for the depth that's there. Um, I just found it so dreadfully boring that that it will be a while before I reengage with it again. Can I just say one thing about the pacing of this movie really quick? I think if this movie is supposed to be like an entirely like entirely in the mind of Jesse Plemons' character Jake, I I think that the pacing is actually one of those creative choices that makes enti- like so much sense because as we mentioned before, those like those car ride scenes in particular, he's spewing knowledge left and right on so many different cultural topics, whether it be art, music, movies, what have you. And he sounds so intellectual. But Jesse Plemons, like the casting of him, he does have this incredible ability to come off so dry and boring in his line delivery. And I I, I think that that is all by design. And I think it actually adds to why the pacing of the film is exactly the way that it is because of the fact that this is a guy who is miserable, sad, and boring. The Jade character, not Jesse Plemons. <laughs> and as the film goes on, he just gets more and more depressed and dreadful and really on the idea of, I think I'm going to kill myself. So as the film progresses, he just gets more depressing and more dreary. So that is another reason why I think Jesse does do a great job now, which I, I, and could also be a reason why the film can turn people off, because it just gets more dreary as the film goes on. Uh, there's also something to the a fact that like at the more um uh Jesse Buckley's character talks the the less interested he is in her like there I got this feeling this time the second time through watching it where during that second car ride he's just kind of like okay so like maybe this woman that I thought was my dream girl maybe that's not what I want and maybe like that that is too much and maybe she's better than me and I don't really deserve her and that added another really fascinating layer to it for me what do you guys also think about like her consistent desires to want to leave uh, to want to get back and how he's you know trying to keep her there and how that plays into you know the mindset of what we know the character of Jake is actually going through I mean it feels like yet again him making excuses as to why this even perfect imagined relationships still wouldn't work that there would still be this pull to escape it this desire for anything that 
anything in this relationship that he would feel like would be good for him to still escape his grasp. And I think it's like for him, no matter how hard he tries to imagine an idealized version of this relationship, there's always going to be something to yank it from uh, his life. And that it's one of the things that keeps pushing him towards the idea of ending things because even in his idealized world, it will not continue. There's always going to be some excuse to end it, uh, to even end that by um, by the end of things. I want to uh, get to Tony Collette and David Fulis here and everything that takes place at the farm now. Uh, I love I love how that like the farm is like in between these two car ride scenes, but now we're just getting to the to the to the farm. So um, right away, the minute they get there, Tony Collette's like waving in the window ferociously, and I'm just like, yes, okay, this is gonna be weird. It already is weird. I'm ready for it to get even weirder. And it takes a while for uh, the two characters to actually come into the scene, even though they get into the house and he's calling for them. And I think that might be because he's trying to conjure up his memory of what they were like. Uh, And, you know, I think that comes through with like some of the little details, like the uh, the tinnitus, the uh, the bandaid on uh, David Fulis's head, like. Like, he's trying to remember these tiny little things about uh, his parents so that he can, you know, create these uh, horribly, horribly awkward and painful scenes uh, with Jesse Buckley, especially at that dinner table. My God. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's got a lot of issues with his parents for sure. And it also this is also a section of the movie where I kind of get that it's where it's trying to be a little bit more than just thinking about this relationship and sort of thinking about his life in general because he's bringing his parents into it and he's bringing in the relationship that he had with them that was strained and now he had to probably take care of them as they got older. And it kind of seems like that's always been his parents' house that he just continues to live in so he doesn't move on from that mindset from when he was younger anyway. Oh, I didn't think of that. That's good. Well, I mean, because that is the same house, right? Isn't he living in the same house that he sees the parents in? So essentially, like, my interpretation is that he never left and he just stayed with his parents all the time and developed this animosity with them and also the sadness about taking care of them. And that is a very interesting element in terms of thinking about your entire life, not just revolving it around this one imagined relationship. I don't know if both of them both of those ideas always mesh that well together in this section. It's still fascinating for me to watch, but I don't know if it really connected all that well for me. And that was a bit frustrating, but it was still, I mean, any opportunity to watch Tony Collette, I will take regardless of the circumstances. <laughs> well, and some, a place where you all probably diverge from me or uh, is, um, is Tony Collette. I didn't really enjoy her performance or at least I, I think I enjoyed her performance, but I, it's one of, it's not one of my favorite performances of her. I, she didn't like, she didn't completely work in the character for me. Um, whereas David Thewis totally did. Um, I, I will say I did like parts of um, this this segment of the film, um, specifically towards the end where um, uh, th- people are changing, um, like and aging and uh, becoming younger. Great makeup. The the makeup was um, excellent, um, and it was so such a cinematic um, montage that happens when she's like exploring the house. Um, in the shifting time periods, it's like a flowing string of ex- um, of an experience and. 
I thought that that sequence was especially well done. Yeah, and then there's this whole idea of like the forbidden basement, if you will. And it's like, this is the closest that Charlie Kaufman's ever going to come to making a horror film. So let's kind of like play that up a little bit. And, you know, the reveal of what actually is in the basement, I think, is where the film really starts laying it on extremely thick. Uh, the twist that, that uh, Jesse and Jesse <laughs> are the same person. Uh, and so I, 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 I like, you know, those elements. I also love the subtle lighting change, how the house starts off like extremely cold. And the minute they get into uh, the dinner scene, everything is now like so, like just transitions to warmth all of a sudden. Like the photography by Lukas Zal, who shot uh, Cold War and Ida, is just unreal in this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, the cinematography. <laughs> like I know it's kind of weird because it's slightly depressing, but with the between the cinematography and the production design, like I wanted to live in this house. Oh, I I'd never want to live in that house. <laughs> <laughs> like it there there is something that is so simultaneously warm and cozy and inviting about it, but also um drab and lonely but also kind of foreboding and uh almost like not nightmarish but like night <laughs> night not nightmarish in the way that we normally t think of something being nightmarish but nightmarish about it what's the ladybird quote you can't be scary and warm is that right yeah, except this totally is. <laughs> also, too, I, I need to, and I, I haven't done this yet, but I need to do freeze frames of Jake's room so that I can see w which VHS movies he has in there because I am just so incredibly curious uh, if any of those also contain uh, similar themes as this movie, you know, so there's like a little Easter egg there then. I mean, we see the Pauline Kale book, like clearly that's like on full display in his room. And I'm like 99% positive we see a beautiful mind in there, too. But uh, I'm not. Well, a beautiful sure. mind is directly referenced at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, directly. Yeah. A beautiful mind is in there. Yeah. Does oh, it that. is in his room. I OK, did, I gotcha. See that. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, honestly, I have no idea how the hell uh, they got away with uh, the a beautiful mind like ending uh, to this movie. Uh, be, uh, only because it, it like is word for word the dialogue from the final scene of that film. And I do think that there is something to be said with like why that movie, why that scene, why that moment. And I was like kind of coming back to this over and over and over in my mind of like, why a beautiful mind like of all the movies. And I kind of settled on a couple of different things here because there was so this is the point in the movie right the third act where things just go full crazy bonkers weird there's animated pigs naked old men snow it, 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 dancing there's a lot right well also just before you get into that i'm gonna go on a limb here lauren and assume that that, that part is not in the book uh no i can confirm there's no dance there's no musical theater there's no media of stuff like that but i will say <laughs> yeah beautiful none of that stuff is in there it's very direct and you you see in the book that there is a suicide going on and it's an investigation which leads back in but i will say that the third act is by far my favorite part of the film uh it's mine as well 
And the reason why it is for me is because Kaufman tells us the twist without actually telling us the twist. He uses every other tool at his disposal as a filmmaker to convey story without actually spelling it out through us through character and dialogue. And I just found that to be such a bold and daring choice that when I did uh, talk with Lauren afterwards and I asked her, same question, is this in the book? I was like, good, great, because it's the same thing as the book, but it allows the movie to stand on its own and not bring about then inevitable comparisons to the book. But you got to respect Hoffman for doing that because it's very easy and we see it all the time when there are book to film adaptations. They literally just take it, they subtract like 100 pages or so and they just condense it and put it on film. Kaufman here really does put his own spin on it and puts his own interpretation on a piece, which makes it a lot more theatrical. And again, the dude puts a dance in it. Like, it's really cool how he tells this whole story in a contemporary dance piece, which is, you know, amazing, interesting, and allows people to think more and makes the watchers pay more attention to it, whereas, you know, normal book-to-film adaptations, it's literally exactly what it is, and it's probably not as good sometimes. So you're not just getting... You're not getting everything. Here, he does put everything in. He just makes it not horror. He makes it more existentialist. But I got to ask this question, though, because in the dance sequence, the janitor, which is supposed to be obviously the real-life version of Jake, stabs him, and he's Mm -hmm. bleeding out. So is that still the thought of him killing himself, or does he actually kill himself? And I say this because... The animated pig sequence then with the janitor where he's at his most vulnerable. I mean, he's literally stripped naked and the pig is telling him stuff like, you know, it's not that bad. Everything is the same when you look close enough. And he's it sounds like the pig is trying to convince him not to kill himself um, and trying to explain that everybody is miserable. Everybody's going to die. There's this this inevitability to life as we know it. And you just got to kind of like come to grips with that and just go out on your own terms, if you will. And so that leads into the the A Beautiful Mind segment, right? So let's just take a quick step back here for a minute. Like, let's just ask, does Jake actually kill himself at the end of this movie? Or does the A Beautiful Mind scene maybe give us the impression that he doesn't? I imagine that he does kill himself. I, I kind of almost think like this whole movie might be in the few moments before he actually dies. Honestly, like just the final synapses firing in his mind. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like that's where the general direction of the movie is heading. And what's also interesting is when you say during that dancing scene, which by the way, it might be my favorite moment in the film. I think the entire sequence is just so beautiful. But when, his like true self comes in and stabs the younger version. Initially, I didn't take that to be that that was him actually killing himself. Like in real life, I took it more so as like, that was the real version of himself killing the idealized version of himself. Like this man that he imagined himself to be, who was in this perfect relationship. Then like suddenly all that comes crashing down. Reality sets in his, mundane life as this boring janitor disrupts that vision and kills that version of himself that's how i took it to mean i i can understand if there's a different interpretation but that's how i viewed it when i was watching the movie that's actually what i came to on my second viewing too josh yeah 
And for the record, that that is actually my my least favorite part of the movie. That, wow. that last okay. sequence, because I think that that is for me where it gets so abstract that it it's not like you know. There's a, there's an idea running through the first two thirds of the movie where like. Uh, what you think it's about is not actually what it's about when you're first watching it. And everything about that last sequence is like, we are leaving that idea so far behind that like, we're not even going to give you any hints as to what this is about. And we're just going to be fucking crazy and surreal. And I, while I love that it goes all in on the surrealism it's also the most frustrating part of the movie because if there is something about the movie that I don't think works perfectly, I will, I mean, number one, it's the pacing of the thing, but number two, it's that I'm not sure that it manages the shift between having the, the young woman be the protagonist to, uh, him being the protagonist all that well it ju- it just sort of happens somewhere in that in, in the dance sequence and even on a second viewing it, it just that shift was so jarring and not in a in a good way for me I'm having trouble expressing exactly what it feels like, but then again, like that's the whole thing with this movie. You can't really well, explain exactly. Let me, what it let me ask you this: Are you are you mad? Are, not mad, but are you dissatisfied even with the idea that this is a movie from a woman's point of view, and then all of a sudden it turns out to be from a man's point of view, and for very selfish and ugly reasons? No, that that was never something that entered my well. It was definitely not something that entered my mind the first viewing because when we got to the end, I was just like, "Well, what the fuck was that about?" Um, it, but the <sighs> second time watching it through, it, it didn't. That wasn't an issue because I was still trying to figure out what what the purpose of that of that dance scene was. And that was what I was kind of getting at before where it's almost better as an adaptation. Like if you know the book and know what happens, then that makes sense. But without that, it's just kind of weird and out there. And what is this doing here? And what is it supposed to be telling us? And I would say that's a negative on how you interpret it because no matter how something's adapted it shouldn't rely on the original source material material you should be able to understand what it's trying to say as its own piece Mm. but like i would say that the like the question is um where does the young woman end and where does jake begin can be a little messy and a little jagged but i always would point it out that like right on the head it would be the scene right before the dance scene which is where she's in the school and she meets the janitor and she's like i'm looking for my boyfriend and the janitor's like what does she look like well, what does he look like? And she's like, I don't really know. You know, we didn't really talk. We don't really know each other. Like, why would I know what he looks like? And then it goes into the dance sequence. I think that's like the moment, like right on the head, if it's the most direct moment, that's the most direct moment in the piece where it would 
that's where it totally shifts. We're in Jake's head now. If you didn't get it by now, like here's where we're at. And I want to just remind people within the first three minutes, we get that shot of the janitor and Jake both looking out the window at Jesse Buckley. So one could argue it's even in the very, very beginning of the movie that we should be having that. I mean, (laughs) and that was my thing. Like I got pretty early on in the movie. I forget when exactly, but that, that, that old man character was supposed to be another version of Jake, but the, the, uh, the whole thing about, you know, him killing himself and the girl not being exactly real. I, I didn't, I, it was not something that I could fully express after one viewing of it, Mm -hmm. that that was what it was about. And like, is that a failing of the screenplay Given how elliptical and surreal the screenplay is, I don't know that that's necessarily a fault. I think that's um, a feature, not a bug, so to speak. I think Kaufman wants it to be ambiguous and um, to have you know this be a movie where people can have different interpretations that hold up, even if there is a definite story that he's telling. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a knock on the movie. I, I just don't think that that... That I just think that that sequence is my least favorite in the movie because it does feel unsatisfying. And whereas the rest of the movie I find fascinating in a I want to figure it out way, this one feels fascinating in in, in a particularly obtuse way that I don't particularly enjoy. But I did really love that scene with the janitor and the young woman. I do agree with you, Dan. I, I don't think even as as much as I've been knocking the movie, I don't think the the vague nature of what everything means is an is a is an accident or a mistake that Coffin made, clearly. I mean, I think there are so many things that he he doesn't want people to just get everything on the first viewing. So so even though it that doesn't work for me, I, I know that that was Kaufman's intention. That's why he throws so many random things in there that maybe it means something to Kaufman. Maybe it doesn't like the dog, you know, sh- shaking itself um, uh, or, or, you know, uh, just a lot of things in the, in that ending sequence. Um, Kaufman may have intention behind some of those, or maybe he's just trying to put, put in elements that get you to go, what does it mean? And try to dig deeper. So I agree. It's a feature. Not a it's like the Pauline Kael uh, line. It's all planned, but it isn't thought out. Sure, sure. So going back to what Matt was saying a few minutes ago about the um, the reveal that um, this woman we've spent th- the entire movie with is actually an extension of um, the ma- the main the main male character. It's uh, for me. It I did cross my mind, and um, while I was watching it, I kind of felt like. I, I felt deflated in a, in a sense because I really did enjoy seeing her perspective in the first hour hour of the movie, the first hour, hour and a half, and what she was going through and the types of conversations she was having with herself. And I appreciated that all on character work. Um, so the looking at it from the larger picture that this is actually, um, that he's having a conversation with himself or he's um, having a self-defeating prophecy about a potential fantasy relationship, it does kind of take away that it, it takes away some of what I enjoy, what I initially enjoyed about the movie. I didn't, I can't say I loved what it revealed itself to be um, not to be too on brand. Um, but yeah, it just feels, it feels like, ugh, really, really. I, uh, I immediately 
I remember I uh, turned to Dan and I was like, oh, film Twitter is going to rip this movie apart for that angle. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. Uh, but actually, most of the most of the reactions that I've seen to the movie, uh, you know, they don't seem to have necessarily a problem with it. I think because of the way that Kaufman does handle the transition, it's not mean spirited. It's supposed to be, you know, more insightful, not so much even so not even so much for Jake's perspective and point of view, but for a larger perspective and point of view of the world entirely. Like Coffin's really speaking to a lot of universal themes that I think that we can all um, kind of appreciate, not just through the eyes of uh, this central character, Jake. You know, I mean, this idea, like the line where they talk about how like people like to think that we're points moving through time, you know, and how it's like the opposite. We're stationary and time passes through us like the cold wind. Um, I, I, I do think that there is something there that whether it's coming from a man or a woman, it's still something that can speak to all of us. That is that is true, Matt. But yeah. I do think that there is a slight difference in the way that Kaufman goes about telling that in this movie than he does previously because his entire filmography is really about like how the sad lonely man <laughs> yeah it, it really is <laughs> yeah. but at the same time i feel like he has been able to tell those stories without removing the agency of those female characters like you know you look at something like being john malkovich or eternal sunshine or anomalisa you know they're all about how men are looking at the world and how they view their relationships with women. But I think the female characters in those movies still have a sense of independence to themselves and are still battling their own kind of issues at the same time. Whereas I don't think that the shift in perspective here is mean spirited, like you said, but I also think that it feels very reductive at the same time. It feels like there's not as much complexity in it because it's all funneling back to one perspective instead of having more layers of complexity to it, which he has been able to do in the past. I agree 100% with Josh. I agree 75% with Josh. <laughs> I agree 50% with Josh. I agree 65%. <laughs> I'm glad I have now become the, the baseline. <laughs> How enjoyed it? What's your number? Uh, sure, I'll go, I'll go 75%. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't hate it, necessarily. I do think that it is something that can... I think it's a valid criticism, if anything. And once again, I, I love that Kaufman invites that level of criticism because he actually you know comments on it in the movie itself. And I want to just tie it back to, once again, this Beautiful Mind uh, ending scene. We all remember the ending to A Beautiful Mind. We all remember like how much of a neat, nice little bow of an ending of that scene is when he's accepting the Nobel. Uh, is it the Nobel Prize, right, that he's getting yeah. at the end of the film? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so I remember a couple of things here, and I all think this this is all deliberate. The makeup in A Beautiful Mind, I remember, was criticized heavily for being bad, especially Jennifer Connelly in, in that final scene. And... I found it laugh out loud hysterically funny when the makeup that was applied to all the audience members and even Jake himself was deliberately bad, drawn on like like it was done with a like a with a pencil. <laughs> it was stage makeup. Right. Well, yeah. Not only that, it's high school stage makeup. Right. Yeah. And so that so what I'm what I'm getting at with you know drawing this uh, taking this example though is how with A Beautiful Mind, it's kind of looked at as 
the perfect feel-good ending that can get a film an Academy Award for Best Picture, where Kaufman is making a movie that will never win the Academy Award for Best Picture and is kind of making fun of those kinds of movies. Another example, once again, is the Robert Zemeckis movie that plays earlier on in the film, saying all these movies that are made to be neat and tidy and easily digestible for audiences to deal with. No, this is, these are the kinds of movies I make. And the divisive reactions that we've like expressed here on this podcast today and other people have expressed out there in the world, Kaufman couldn't give two shits less. You know, he he revels in the fact that his movies are at least inspiring uh, a conversation. And that was something that I, I, I just I truly, truly, truly loved about this movie. The Oklahoma Lonely Room moment, uh, wait, Richard Rogers, I- I'm still confused on that one. And I was hoping to God that Dan and Lauren uh, could provide some context to that. Yeah, I need that context, too. Because <laughs> the only thing I got from that is that, you know, the character has always wanted adoration. He wants love. Yeah, he just wants to be loved. Love. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's all, it is one of those songs. Yeah. Yeah. It is one of those songs where it's just like kind of all there in the lyrics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it, it, I don't think there's anything more to it than he does see himself as Judd Fry. He sees himself as, you know, this kind of misunderstood loner and he is going to go out there and, you know, show this girl that he is you know, worth it and that he's a person and that he is just as deserving of love as everyone else. Which begs the question again, does he kill himself at the end of the movie then, if that's the case? If that's what the if that's what the song is saying? Well so here's here's the thing that like makes me so confused is the the um the post credits scene. The fade to blue. Uh, not that the like the literal post credits bit. Oh yes, with, with the car is like if if you watch all the way through the credits, which like the the there is a clue that you should because the Netflix doesn't pop up with yeah. you should watch this next. Mm-hmm. When you hear the car like kind of rattling, the engine rattling, I think is what it is, and I was like, well, wait, does he kill himself? Or is, like, someone in that car trying to get it to start? You know, I'm sure there are people that are on this podcast right now that did not sit through the credits to find that moment. But I think it's another added level of brilliance uh, in terms of interpretation then. Because the the idea of whether or not if he does kill himself will, I think, color how people then interpret the rest of the movie. Um, in terms of especially... You know, the the grander uh, commentary on the themes of the film, especially. And so, yeah, I, now that we like know that that exists, I mean, it exists once again as like one last little reminder of, hey, I'm, I'm including this right now to even enforce your belief that he did kill himself. Or as Dan put it, I'm including this to tell you, nope, he went back out to the car and he got inside and he's trying to start the engine or he was out there all night contemplating to do it rather yeah he was out there in the car all night contemplating to do it decided not to and now he's woken up and he's deciding to uh, start it again yeah that that was kind of what i came to this this last time and that like maybe he you know was out there in the car freezing his ass off the whole night and is now probably decided that he doesn't want to do it but he may be utterly fucked anyway <laughs> as the pig says we're all gonna die yeah 
And and but although honestly, like, and Matt can attest to this, like when it got to the end, when it cut to the car outside, um, I I laughed. Yeah, he did. Be- because of course that's how this movie fucking ends. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, of course, we can't even have like, you know, a, a typical weird ending with what happened in the school. There has to be a little twist of the knife, a little, yeah, you thought that was it, huh? Well, have I got an end for you? <laughs> or is it? Now that we've reached the end of the film, uh, we're going to go now to final thoughts. Anything that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? Uh, why don't we hear first from Howitt? Uh, I wish I had as much desire to rewatch and dig in deep as you guys seem to have. Um, I actually am fascinated to read the book. I re- I'm definitely going to read the book because it sounds a lot more interesting uh, than than the film that we received. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't I didn't find this film very interesting at all, even though it's extremely well made. I think the craft here is phenomenal. Um, like I said before, I, I think uh, David Thewlis especially, I mean, he's in my supporting actor ballot for now. I mean, he's uh, really great uh, in this in the small role he has. So there's a lot of good things here. Um, the pace, just everything was too off putting uh, to, to really give me any desire to really dig back into it so uh so there you go all right what grade would you give it how it uh i'd give it a five out of ten all righty josh parm i think i pretty much said most of my feelings um i do also just want to co-sign with david thulis he was i I did really like his performance and sometimes i did kind of prefer him to tony collette in some of those scenes um this movie is certainly has a lot going on but I also think that once you have the basic foundation of the premise to it, it's actually not that complicated. And that is both liberating and a bit disappointing for me. Um, there's certainly questions still left unanswered, but I feel like most of those questions are not that interesting to me. Um, I still think, though, that the basic ideas that the movie's working with are very fascinating like a lot of charlie kaufman's other movies are i just feel like this one doesn't go as deep as some of his other ones do and that was a little underwhelming even though i appreciate the performances i appreciate the craft on display i still think thematically this is one of his weaker efforts and therefore i really don't know if i'm going to return to it a lot but i certainly appreciate what he's doing like i would do with any one of his movies great out of ten Uh, I'm a 7 out of 10. Like, I still liked it. I still think that it's a movie that is worth seeing, especially if you like his work. But it isn't one that I think is totally successful. It doesn't really come together in a completely coherent way that I found compelling. So it's a movie that I did like for what it was, but it's not really one that I'm enthusiastic about either. All right. Lauren? It's a mind trip, but it's an interesting mind trip. And I do think it does require work, which I do know can push people away from it. But if I want to, I just want to talk about the pig infested with maggots metaphor, because I really like it, about how, you know, we could see the pigs could be us and the maggots can be, I don't know, mental illness or maybe even time, whatever that's destroying us. And it could be due to, you know, neglect by a higher being maybe or just maybe the neglect is time and i do love how 
Jay can be associated with the pig infested with maggots, or even the audience member can be associated with that and how we can interpret that into our own life and how we're just being neglected or we're neglecting something, allowing something to just consume us to the point where it's just better off to end it because it's not going to get better. I really like that metaphor and how it went through the entire film. Oh, yeah, especially, like, when they uh, start talking about, like, um, all the lies that we tell ourselves. Yeah, that could be the maggots. Like, everything right. can be different. So I really liked that metaphor. And if it might be different. Your maggots might be different to Jake's maggots, which makes it all beautiful and dreary and horrible at the same time. But it, I think it's a good metaphor. I don't believe it's in the book, but I really did enjoy that one. And then, you know, the idea of that leading Jake to maybe death was also a nice touch. My grade... I think I'm also going to give it a seven. I did like it, but I do think sometimes it's very, it's a different story in my opinion. It's very different piece of art. I tr I'm trying to not compare it to the book, but it's hard not to. And I think reading the book might help, but it also probably won't because I do think it's in its own other genre where you do have to do the work. And that could totally turn people off. But if you do do the work, you'll find a lot in it. And that will definitely increase your score. So for me, it's a seven right now. If I watch it again and do the work, it'll probably turn into an eight very soon. Ryan? You know, I really thought that the themes that the film explored, um, introspection, time, um, uncertainty, uh, all very deep and palpable and um, interesting and the film itself is interesting um, on uh, the on the symbolism and the allegory and uh, how it depicts this man. That being said, I can't fully give a I can't fully give a uh, an honest recommendation for it to everybody. Um, you know, I don't think it's one of um, Charlie Kaufman's better works um, for a lot of the reasons we pointed out um, throughout the review. Um, but uh, I can't deny that this is objectively a very brilliant screenplay and concept. So I'm giving it a seven. Dan Bear. Uh, I think this is the most ridiculously well-crafted movie of the year. Um, the I just like have to shout out that production design again. The I, the wallpaper, every bit of wallpaper in that farmhouse is like incredible for different reasons and i'm a little bit obsessed with it um i i think i feel like we gave short shrift to the sequence at the farmhouse it, it's my favorite sequence in the movie um by a, a pretty good amount i love the the character dynamics and just how un, unbearably uncomfortably awkward it gets and how funny it is and um tony collette and david thulis are both fantastic um we gave David Thewlis his deserved shout out, and you know Tony Collette is always great. So it almost feels like she could do this sort of thing in her sleep, but still she does it so so well. But I also need to shout out the makeup work in that sequence because that the old age stuff on both Tony Collette and David Thewlis is just incredible um it looks really natural but also slightly fantastical and it's uh, it, it just looks really really great and there there's also one part of that sequence where 
Jesse Buckley is, you know, monologuing in voiceover and she keeps walking down the same set of stairs like it's an MC Escher drawing. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, that is 2020 in one image, isn't it? Like, we're just all just like just constantly walking down these stairs, not getting anywhere, <laughs> talking to ourselves. <laughs> um yeah, I, I'm kind of obsessed with that sequence. Um, and like Matt said, it's like I think it's the closest Troy Kaufman will get to making a horror movie. And it felt so, um, even though he'll hate that I say this, it felt so Lynchian. I love this movie. I love that it inspires conversation. And I love that it's on Netflix so that we can go back to it and watch it over and over and find all those little things that, Kaufman is, you know, seated throughout the whole thing, and it, I think it's kind of brilliant. Um, I don't think it's perfect, but it's really, really strong. And uh, my grade on, especially after a second viewing, is a nine out of ten. I think that this is a, to borrow a line from the movie, genius piece of work uh, from Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I really, really want the diligence pin uh, as like a prop so that I can wear it at film festivals just to see if anybody else is like, oh, my God, you're a fan of I'm thinking of anything things, too. You know, like I, I would love that. <laughs> um, but for my final thoughts here, I just have a series of questions that I just want to ask really quick, uh, maybe because, you know, these are a little uncertain to me right now. Uh so there's like a line in the movie. I think it's I think it's mentioned two or three times uh, over the phone, over voiceover, where uh, older Jake is saying, "I can feel my fear growing." Now is the time for the answer. Just one question, one question to answer. What is the question? Should I do it? Okay, that's what I thought too. I just wanted to know if anybody else like thought anything differently. I kind of assumed that that was direct dialogue from the book looks at lauren uh guys i don't have it memorized um <laughs> you don't really hear the janitor speak in the book i'll say that okay the snow symbolism because there are moments in the movie where the snow is not just outside it's also inside the house it's inside the gymnasium what'd you guys think of the snow in the movie like because my interpretation of it was that it was supposed to be, um, you know, something that is the, the, the forebodingness of death and that, you know, uh, ice and snow and cold can bring about death to so many living things on the planet. So that was like my interpretation of it. But I just wanted to know what you guys thought. Yeah, that's the basic symbolism of winter in general. So that is death and dying. And then it's also frozen water so that is symbolism for um purification and cleansing and transition so that could be that as well and it's frozen water so that's all about that jazz and it's white which also is pure so you got a lot of stuff that you can draw from that i think also if you want to have this interpretation that he's sort of been dead throughout this entire um this most of the story with him and this woman and uh, going to his parents' house and all that, um, that he's in the car and just dead already, and it's snowing outside, so the snow is constant. <laughs> Would also make it seem like the reason why those car trips are 
excruciatingly long because he has not left the car at all throughout this entire time. Exactly. Oh my God. I'm so glad somebody said it. Yes. Yeah. That was, thank you. That was my interpretation of it was, especially on a second viewing was that like, you know, he's been in that car this whole time and the snow is just like, it's always there and a constant reminder that, you know, it of where he is. And then this one's a little bit more open, I guess, but all of the mentions of Tulsi town, in the movie, uh, including the burrs. Like, I didn't know if that was just meant to be like happy, you know, memories of his hometown or if there was something else to it necessarily. That was like the one thing I, I understood the cups in the dumpster uh, were supposed to represent the mundane uh, repetitiveness of his life. And how, you know, he's just always going to the school every day, always cleaning these hallways, and he's just doing his day in and day out and day in and day out. So I got that aspect of it. But did you guys, like, have anything else about it, especially, like, the women that worked at the Tulsi town, um, like the girl with the rash on her arms and things like that? I admit this is that was the section of the movie where I really kind of struggled with it. I think that there are some things that seem like are are easy parallels you're supposed to make because like the people that work in the shop they are students that he sees yes. in the school so you get the sense that he like he's making that connection but like i don't really get what the rash is supposed to be i admit i'm a bit lost on that part yeah i just really see it as a commentary on women and pretty girls and ugly girls and just pretty and me and, and how that's supposed to be and just the life of young women and how it's hard. Oh yeah. Cause there is a whole section of dialogue about pretty Peter people. Ash does a monologue about how they're pretty and they're mean and they don't understand. Like, yeah, it's, that's how I saw it, but I am, you know, a young woman. So I just resonated with that aspect of it. Just of, you know, the adolescent girl talking to another young girl about, how people are cruel in this world and they use mm-hmm. their looks to get ahead, especially girls. I don't know how that would relate to Jake. Well, it's, he passes by like the two girls that are sort of like the mean ones that make fun of him. And then they do the same thing at the shop. And then he passes by another one who we don't, obviously don't get to see much of her, but she looks kind of meek and maybe he draws an emotional connection to her just from that one interaction. And so her more sympathetic portrayal later on when she's serving them the the burrs, I guess is supposed to be a an extension of how he sees himself even further. Um that's what I got. Like I said, that the whole section of that part of the movie just didn't interest me as much, especially considering it came after another very long car ride, which I was also starting to grow very tiresome of how it's like listening to us right now. And he's like, I don't know what you all are talking about. I did not understand this movie. <laughs> I, I actually like it was, I had similar issues with that. I was just like, I don't know what's happening in that scene. Um, because the, the girl with the, the, the rash, she, she says, you know, they said they the uh, mean girls said like sorry about the smell. They're doing something in in the back, and she like comes varnishing. Back and she, yeah. yeah, they're varnishing. She's like, and she says, you know, it's not varnish. And I'm just like, well, well, what? Like, is is this supposed to be some sign that like they're like that they're all actually dead? Or is that him rotting? I don't know. Killed them. Yeah, like it's very I. 
I didn't know what that was all about, but there was also like this, this aspect of how, just how he sees women. It's the whole, you know, Madonna and whore thing, like the two mean girls who are kind of, you know, thin and pretty and sexy and teasing him versus the one who's like, the one who's nice to him is the one with a, you know, a skin condition that she can't hide. And then, like, one last thing about that is that she tells uh, Jesse Buckley, uh, she's like, I'm not supposed to be telling you this, uh, but you don't have to go. And she's like, go where? Forward. And it's like, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Since we know that the young woman and Jake are the same person, so she's telling that to Jake. So forward represents death or does it represent going more forward in life? And I, I... once again, I, I think it's supposed to be deliberately ambiguous and we're not supposed to exactly understand what the dialogue is actually saying there because it's supposed to then fuel mm. whatever interpretation you want to walk away with from the movie. In the end, I'll just I'll just end uh, my final thoughts on uh, this moment here and just say I had no idea that Jesse Plemons could sing. I had no idea. It was a complete shock to me. It was a shock in the car. It was even greater shock in the final sequence. <laughs> um, is that him singing in the final sequence or is it vo- voiceover dubbed? I don't know. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't tell. I couldn't really tell either. Yeah. I will be so upset if it's dubbed. Yeah, me too. <laughs> my uh, my grade out of 10, uh, it was an 8. Uh, the 8 is what is on the uh, website. It was from my first viewing of the film. I've seen it two times since then. It's a 9 now. I absolutely love this movie so much um i i i love everything that it inspires in me in terms of just thought and i also love uh the conversation that it has you know given us today and i haven't admittedly listened to any interviews with charlie kaufman talking about this movie because um to ryan's point earlier about mother um i am a little afraid of hearing from him uh the actual like grand designs of everything it is that he did with this movie. I I would much rather live in this world where I have my own interpretation of it. And, you know, I can just live with that. Uh, But yeah, I, I I do think that once we know the truth, there is something that is a little lost, but the conversation around some of the things that Kaufman brings up, like film criticism, like talking about people's, um, attractiveness or whatever it is that you know we've uh, touched upon in this review today i think those universal conversations outside of this movie are are fascinating and that's what gives the movie i think it's uh it's staying power at the end of the day uh oscar potential for this movie i think that this is the kind of movie that ampus will not touch with a 5500 5000 long pole uh if you ask me but there is a world, there is a world where Kaufman does get an adapted screenplay. I think that's yeah. the most likely scenario. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I really, 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 really would love it though if critics made a push for Jesse Buckley and lead actress. I would be so happy. <laughs> God, she's so she's so good in it. It's never. I don't think any of the performances are going to get recognized for this, and that's sad because they're all pretty great in their own ways. But yeah, adapted screenplay. It. It's got to be adapted screenplay or bust. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that it's an like dark horse outside chance nomination for makeup and hairstyling, um, just because they do like old age makeup and the, that here is really good. And there are five nominees now, but I don't know what's coming down the pike that like 
could also be a good contender for that. It could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing else could happen this other crazy than those two. Year. Yeah. It, it would be. And even though Coffin's like a previous winner and nominee in this category and they clearly like his work. I mean, he was also nominated for Anomalisa for animated feature. I think that if they do this, if the writer's branch actually recognizes this movie with an adapted screenplay nomination, then there is like, in my opinion, nothing that Charlie Kaufman could ever make in the future that they, that we should not consider for some sort of a Oscar consideration. Like this is like the ultimate test to see if they love him as much as they love the weirdness of David Lynch, for example, and how he would get these surprise best director uh, nominations for like, uh, Blue Velvet or Mulholland Drive. I, I could see if the writer's branch really loves Kaufman that much, I, I could see that happening here. And that's that's like my that's my reasoning for why I have not fully taken out of out of my predictions yet. The question of whether or not if they love him as much as they love David Lynch and his weirdness. And another thing I think you can look at is sometimes it's not just the screenplay itself, but it might also just be the feat of the adaptation, which I think is something that helped somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson for Inherent Vice, for example. Like that's a movie that, I, you know, you can argue how successful it is, but I think the writers branch not only liked him, but they liked what he did with that adaptation. And a similar thing might happen with Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, I think they they may look at it and say like, wow, this book was you know unadaptable, unfilmable, and he actually did it. Or he turned um, it into something very different too. Yeah, I, I think I think that that may be the thing that puts him over because remember he didn't get nominated for Synecdoche, New York. Which was, you know, like people were sort of hailing as critics, at least hailed as a masterpiece and, you know, best movie of the year, et cetera, et cetera. And but was similarly divisive or divisive in a similar way, I think, to this movie. So I think that if it does come down to that, it may come down to the fact that, well, a it's a weak field in adapted screenplay this year, but also that they're they respect what he did with the adaptation. I got no final thoughts on the awards prospect. Anybody else? It's not getting nominated for anything. (laughs) I want, I want it to also get nominated for um, production design and cinematography, but it's not going to (laughs) happen. The cinematography nomination would be amazing, but I, I don't think it'll happen either. No, no, I don't think it will happen. Although, that guy, you know, Lucas Jal is in the club now, so right. you never know. I mean, name recognition goes a long way with these branches, so I don't see that as likely happening, but if the talk of it started to solidify and it seemed like he was going to become a contender, wouldn't shock me either. Okay, cool. Ryan C. Showers, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me at RCS818 on Twitter. Lauren LaMagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Dan Bear. I am on Twitter at Tiff virtually at Dance and Dan on film. Daniel Howitt. Find me on Twitter at Howitt DK. And Josh Parham. I am on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Unthinking of Ending Things here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. 
Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.